Hello and welcome to all of our listeners. I am Erin Clapper and this is the Clinical Specialist in Neuromodulation Podcast. On our show today, we peek behind the curtain with Dr. Tom Fall from Madison, Wisconsin. We're excited for you to join us as we dive into part two of our DRG Focus podcast. Please enjoy our interview with Dr. Fall as he answers our rapid fire questions about his experience with DRG and his recommendations for the procedure, the technology, and for the reps in the OR suite. I'm Rosie Baker. I'm the Territory Manager at Abbott Neuromodulation, and we're here with Dr. Fall. Hi, my name is Dr. Tom Fall. I'm a board-certified anesthesiologist and also board-certified in uh, interventional pain management, um, section chief for pain management at SSM Health in Madison, Wisconsin. Got interested in pain management probably from my prior profession, I was actually a chiropractor for about nine years before going to medical school. Um, really didn't think I was going to do anything like that again. I didn't really have initially interest in that. Um, but I ended up uh, being interested in anesthesiology. And then I started slowly kind of coming back around. I was interested in acute pain um, and um, so I worked with that a little bit during residency um, and then just got a little, got more interested. Another friend of mine um, was also doing a, a fellowship and, and got me to basically do a fellowship instead of going into general practice. Did my fellowship in pain management at University of Iowa um, and then right, right out from University of Iowa, I began working at SSM here in Madison. And then how long have you been with in Madison? I've been in Madison with SSM for, this is year seven for me. What was the first thing that brought you um, towards DRG? Like, what was the first shining moment that you thought this was really cool therapy? I would say um, when I had a couple patients that other therapies had failed them. One of them was a foot pain patient, and she'd had a spinal cord stimulator um, trial in the past, and it just didn't cover her feet. So when we were able to do her, her trial and we covered her feet and you walk into the room after you've done the trial or the end of the, their week trial and the patient's just kind of smiling and beaming and they, you know, they, they just have this feeling or look of relief, I should say, on their face. That was kind of my moment that I'm like, hey, this can, can really do something that sometimes other therapies just can't do. And that's just really been time after time, patient after patient. That's it's really been for me a pretty reliable thing, uh, reliable therapy that I can count. It's going to do um, what I want it to do or what the patients what the patients need. Between you know kind of the fig modalities, what percentage do you think that you turn to DRG over the other therapies? I, I would say when we've got a focal area, limb, groin, or kind of lower abdominal wall, but I've got some upper abdominal wall patients too. And I've got, I've got all kinds of patients at this point with this therapy. Um, I would say if it is a limb, if it's limb pain at this point um, and they haven't had surgery at that location, um, then I'm kind of looking, I look at DRG first. Um, I've, I've had some patients with 
perineal pain, both male and female, that the therapies work for. Uh, and that would probably, that would be my go-to. I might try an injection on them first um, just to see if we can really get their pain under control, first of all. Um, but it, it's probably my go-to. I probably do, if I'm talking about anything, I probably do DRG and of advanced therapies. DRG and pump are probably the, my two biggest. I've, I've uh, not cut back, but, but um, I would say DRGs kind of cannibalized, if I could use that term, my spinal cord stimulator practice to some degree um, because it just works so well and it's reliable. It, it, on the flip side of that, um, what do you think were some of the struggles that you had in the beginning? I would say just learning the technique. That would be the big thing. I, I, I don't think it was patient selection. I think it's it's pretty clear on who who you you know select for these for this for this procedure. For me, I think about if they're the patient's injury is outside the spinal column, I I think about DRG. If it's inside the spinal column in the lower lower lumbar region, um, I'm and I think that uh, this type of stimulation therapy be helpful. I'll think more about spinal cord stimulation. That being said, I I've. Um, salvaged a patient recently that had failed back surgery syndrome from, from about three lumbar surgeries, um, back, buttock, leg pain, um, had, I think, three to four surgeries, multiple different levels. And at this point, I was able to get her, her electrodes placed at two levels that she had had um, hemilaminotomies um, using the contralateral technique. So I think struggle with this technique is there's just a, a much larger learning curve on this technique. It's it's a great technique. It's a fantastic therapy, um, but but there's there's a lot of steps. There's a lot of little things, and there's a lot more feel to it than you might have with spinal cord stimulation. So I think that, and I I continue to um, polish my technique and and do little different things that I that or try different things that I haven't tried before. You and I joke in the OR sometimes that as a rep. Um, our role half the time is just being an annoying backseat driver. Um, but is there anything <laughs> that we're able to do that – what have we done to at least be an asset in the OR for other reps that are listening? What I would say is knowing the product, knowing kind of the workflows, kind of how each individual physician, how they like to do things. Now, there's kind of a little bit of a, a set workflow for this, but, I mean, everybody does stuff differently and I think, you know, you guys have done a great job of you kind of know what I like to do and kind of how I like to do it. And then the other thing is, I think, and I think this is helpful, is you always run into, you know, some little, if you run into, I almost feel like every case has its little tiny, even if it's just a tiny little snag, there can just be little snags with DRG because there's, it's just a more complex procedure. And you guys have the luxury of seeing multiple different physicians do this procedure and just multiple different patients. So seeing having that one, ooh, I saw this happen on this at this time with this procedure, they tried this and it worked. You know, I don't have to work for five minutes and then figure it out on my own that, oh, maybe I need to do this. You know, when, we're, when there may be a little struggle, like the other day, I've never had to use the, sh the short curved sheath to do a procedure. Do. I've never had to use it. I've tried it, but it's never been. And I used it the other day. Yeah, and and she's like, you know, you could try that. And I'm like, I'm like, okay. 
and this was a permanent. It was a trial that I'd gotten the electrode in there with the regular, you know, kind of standard sheath and went actually pretty quick and pretty well. And two weeks later, for some reason, it was just, there was a little bit of a struggle. We tried that, boom, got it, and actually got it in within about a minute. In the event that we actually get any leadership to hear um, these interviews, listen to the podcast, is there anything that you'd like to share with them in terms of improving the um, procedure steps or the product? First thing actually would be would be see if we can at least get MRI conditional electrodes would be one. Two is is just you could probably yeah have a 70 or 75 millimeter electrode one right in the middle and you wouldn't. You, you wouldn't even need the other two. You could just go with, I mean, primarily go with that. For clarity, I want to pause for a moment. Dr. Fall means expanded MRI labeling beyond our head and extremity indication. He does understand that his patients are not entirely precluded from MR imaging. Additionally, we've had several conversations about the length of the lead. Here, where he uses the term electrode, he's referring to the overall length of the lead transforming into a single length option of 70 or 75 centimeter length. Oh, and the, la- the last thing is I'd like to see the electrodes actually have color coding. So if you do revisions, you've, if I've got two electrodes or three electrodes in there, I could have three different colors. So when I'm doing a revision, I'm only pulling out or I can, I can distinguish which electrodes are going where. That would be my other thing. So let's, let's talk about the procedure when you're walking into the room. What are your top like few things that you're looking for before you scrub? So my number one is basically making sure the patient is positioned properly to have that, that lumbar lordosis taken out as much as possible. Um, even to the point where the patients, they're like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. I'll try to talk to them. I always talk to them before and say, hey, if you're kind of uncomfortable with that, with the, use a large foam roll, um, kind of just about the umbilicus, maybe a little bit higher. But I want to see that, that low back flattened out. My, what, what I learned over the years and learned it the hard way is when you look at that and if there's a curve in there, if there's the normal lumbar lordosis still and you say, oh, it'll be okay, it's never okay. And it can turn a quick, quick five to 15-minute trial into a hour struggle. Um, that's probably my big thing. That's, that's my number one, and that's kind of what I look for. And it's actually helpful Sometimes we get busy in between cases, and I'm not in there. And if, if the reps are in there, you know, just and there isn't the roll on the bed, and I've had this happen, there's just a pillow on the bed. And say, no, that's not what he uses. That's not going to work. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think Aaron and Rosie have a good relationship with our OR team where if they said, oh, that's not how he does that, um, and just mention, hey, he usually uses this or that, you know, I think our, our group of um, techs and nurses would be good with that. Um, yeah, you work other, with a great team. Yeah, yeah, I think our, our, our group is really good. I think we've got a really good, um, solid core of people, um, and they, they kind of know how we like to do things. And, and we put out a good product, um, and I think our patients have been happy about that. What are the first couple steps that you're taking, and what are you looking for? So what I what – I, when I – learn the technique, um, they basically taught us to mark your, mark your points. So if I'm looking at, say, I'm going to do an, L4, an L5 um, DRG placement on the right. So I'm going to mark the, at the very bottom 
of the, the pedicle. So I see my little pedicle, little round circle. I put one, one mark there. I'm going to say, okay, I want to enter the epidural space, and if I'm doing the contralateral technique, just to the other side of the spinous process and just on the inferior aspect of the, the lamina, I mark there. And then, so I've got my initial angle that I'm going to want to take. Um, next is the hardest, probably the hardest part, because it's how, how much tissue, soft tissue you're going to go through. So on a thinner patient, you're up, your next dot of that line you're going to draw is going to be closer, and on a thicker or, or a heavier patient, it's going to be farther out. So I generally try to do that. I will try to err on coming in very sh as shallow as I can, um, because typically that will make this procedure easier. So that's the first. That's kind of my first process. Then the next thing I try to do, especially with trials, is because our patients are awake, I want this one to be not painful for them, and two, I've kind of learned that. When the trial procedure is the least traumatic for them, and I mean that kind of psychologically, as far as when they didn't have hardly any pain or no pain at all, um, the trial goes better. They don't, they're not thinking about the trial at all. So the next thing what I do is I do a lamina block. Um, that simply I will go down. Sometimes I'll go in my angle, or typically what I'll do is I'll go straight down, use an x-ray, go down to the lamina where I'm going to enter, I do a like a three to five milliliter um, bupivacaine, quarter percent bupivacaine uh, block right there, and then I'll come I'll come back and I usually use a three and a half inch spinal needle. I'll try to plot out my trajectory from my entry point to that um, area on the inferior aspect of the lamina. I put a, a generous amount of local in there, and then I make my skin thick and we're ready to go. I started doing that with um, spinal cord stimulation, and then I think I'm like, why am I not doing that with, with DRG? And yeah, I mean, people, they will, will, will complete the procedure and like, well, I didn't feel anything. Um, and I, I'm, I do mine awake, so they, they'll um, get a, a tiny amount of sedation just to kind of help them relax just a little bit, but I mean, they're awake, so they know what's going on. So a lot of times I feel... Um the hardest part, you know, once you've got that lead outside the frame, and the hardest part can really be putting in those loops. What tips do you have? Typically, as soon as I get my electrode kind of where we think we want it, uh, I either step one or step two will be to back out my, my dilat wire, back that out, even if it's just uh, several centimeters, to make, that to make that electrode a little more limp. And then I'm gonna, I will back out my, or pull back on my sheath, and I'll generally actually, I don't know if you've noticed it, but I stop, I take a little bit of a break, I rotate my, um, the bevel on my needle from, if we're doing a right side, from right to set flat, and then I'll go live again, and I'm slowly rotating um, my sheath to go uh, set flat. Um, typically then I will start just to slide, slowly put my electrode in or, or advance it a little bit. If I see it want to push the electrode out the frame and I stop, I'll pull back a little bit. And what I'll do then is I'll, I'll advance my sheath kind of cephalad or, or um, basically cephalad up into that, that area superior to the, to the pedicle. Um, stop there a little bit, and sometimes it's not a lot. It can just be a, a few millimeters. 
and then I'm again making sure that my my wire's back and then I'll advance. As soon as I get, generally that's all you need to do or what I'll need to do. I mean, every time can be a little different, but it's a little bit of moving between advancing your sheath, then pulling it back again and just working that electrode. Because the last thing you want to do is have your electrodes in the frame in good positioning, and then as you're advancing them, it pulls them back up. Um, so that's the trick that I usually do. Once I've got, you know, two or three uh, centimeters of loop going cephalad, I again generally stop. I'll rotate, I'll rotate my bevel down and then I go live again and I um, start direct, I'll rotate my sheath down and I start directing it inferiorward. One thing I would highly recommend is um, because DRG, the, the other difference with DRG is you're going to, you know, use a, more x-ray exposure, you're going you're gonna to absorb more x-ray um, try to, the best you can, get used to going on pulse low dose on your x-ray, and that's just you tell your tech to do that. Um, I've gone from, I'm doing a little aside here, but I've gone from 30 minutes on some of these things to five minutes just by going on pulse on some of the more difficult ones. Um, all right. So when I, I start making my loops, once you get your sec, your inferior loop in, then that's when it gets generally easier. And then if you want to make another one, you can. And then I start pulling back. Um, as you're going to, once you get that inferior loop in, you do typically want to pull that wire out quite a bit um, to make sure it's just making the, the uh, electrode as limp as possible and it's going to do what you want. It, I like the detour you took there because that, that was going to be my follow-up question is some people are reluctant to go live. And I think it makes a huge difference. Yeah. So we, I use like going live and, um, but you see, I typically um, will go live on pulse. Um, every once in a while, if you've got a, a heavier patient though, you just don't have the image quality. Um, so what you, if you can work as much on pulse because extra exposure is a lifetime, your risk is lifetime exposure, do as much as you can on pulse and get used to using it. Mm-hmm. Um, so since this podcast is for, you know, basically the Abbott team, do you have any advice for the ref who is about to cover their first solo DRG case? So when you're working with your mentor rep and working with the, some of the physicians, you're, you, when you're kind of observing, uh, what I would highly recommend is that you take notes. You take notes on kind of how they do things, what your rep says, kind of what, what your mentor is telling or, or discussing with a physician. Um, take notes. Take notes on, ooh, I saw this. Wow, they, you know, they even mentioned, wow, we haven't had to do that before. Um, little things like that are the little pearls that um, will make a difference. The other thing is, you know, before you go in, know what, you know, know where you're going to put your electrodes, or at least know where the physician's going to put the electrodes, and, okay? Because even little differences in levels, there's little nuances to everything. And that's, again, one of the things that's about DRG. It's not going in an intralaminar space at T12L1 and just sliding your electrodes up and leaving them be. Each level has the little nuances of, of what it's like to place a lead at that, at that area. So if you can write those things down and keep track of that, and say, okay, we're probably going to go here, here, and here, so i got to remember this, this, and this. This is kind of backtracking a little bit, but um, you started taking pictures of your needle angles um, during yep. the trial to replicate that for the permanent, and what was the thought process behind that? 
We've had a few patients that it's been, it's been either super easy. Wow, that just went right in there. So I, I believe a lot of a lot of the the technique is getting your um, introducer needle at the right angle, um, up and down, and 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 right and left. So if you can get that needle, you know, I want to make things as easy as possible because when it's harder, um, that's more risk. You're, you know, you, when it, the more we're working in that epidural space, the more chances you are to maybe have a complication um, or the more x-ray you're using for you and the patient and, the, and everyone in the room. So I feel like I've, I started doing it when I had some patients that um, were tough and I made a couple, I came back out, made a couple needle changes and angle. Um, and I feel like I've started just remembering that or wanting, hey, record that because, boom, this is a super easy one. So I want to look at my exact angle so I can replicate that again and save time. So we'll kind of flip over just to general pain management. And um, can you tell me about a patient that has touched your heart um, or really changed the way that you practice or was really memorable? There were actually a couple patients of mine that at first came to my, come to mind. And one actually is a radiofrequency ablation patient very nice gentleman, family guy, um, came in. I was kind of his, you know, quote unquote, last resort. Nothing else had worked. Um, and he had chronic migraine headaches, which are debilitating. He was losing um, time with his family and losing uh, work hours. Um, and was able to do a radiofrequency ablation procedure at C2, C3 on the right, I believe. And did the did did the blocks like we do? They helped. Um, did his procedure, um, and I didn't hear anything. Didn't hear anything. You know, I, I heard we called him. I think at a month, and he was doing okay. Um, and then about six months later, he sent me about a three paragraph letter through uh, our Epic um, medical record, saying you know thanking me. And it was kind of the really, the really um, big thing was, you know, his kids said that this gave him, his kids are like eight and 12 and they gave him his life back. His dad's no longer, you know, our life doesn't revolve around dad's headaches. So that really, like, I think about that, we, we've repeated the procedure um, several, several times at this point, but it's like, it made a huge, something that's actually a, you know, uh, I think really a straightforward, um, you know, procedure and not that difficult, but it's, you know, it's just changed this guy's life and changed his family's life. Um, another one that was with spinal cord stimulation was a lady that was hurt in a work-related um, injury, had a work-related injury. And when I first, first few times I saw her, she came in, I mean, it's just kind of always disheveled looking, never had a smile on her face, always pretty ill-tempered. Um, got her to do, you know, she, she agreed to, she wanted to try us, would try a spinal cord stimulator trial. And, um, so we basically did her trial. I hadn't talked to her. I didn't, don't, I mean, I didn't really knew everything was going okay during the trial. Um, but I, I went into the room, um, at the end of the seven days and I almost backed out because I thought I went in the wrong room. Uh, I walked in there, this lady's smiling. She has makeup on her hair is done. She's dressed nice and she has and a, and a big, the big smile on her face and the beaming look. I'd never seen that. Like she, it was just a new person and she didn't want me. She didn't want to take her stimulator lead. She didn't want to take her trial leads out 
because she's the best she's felt in two years. Um, so those are, those are, are like two and there's more than those two, but for some reason, those two kind of stick in my mind. And, and I, and I, and I think, and I see those patients every once in a while now, but they, they're really memorable for me. What do you feel has been like brought the biggest ROI to your practice? Um, I think kind of building relationships with some of the other physicians um, in our system. We're we're in a big medical group, and we have our insurance plan with our medical group. Um, so I, I think really the the physicians in our in our big system um, know that we're going to take care of their with their patients when they send us um, their their patients that they have had relationships for you know years. They know we're going to take care of them. So I think building building the relationships with those folks and, you know, them knowing that they can always, you know, call or, or send us a message when they have questions and that we're, you know, we're not going to feel, you know, we're not going to give them the impression that we're bothered because um, we're not. Um, I think that's been the biggest thing um, that I think we've tried to work on that I, that I've done since I started and that when we have new physicians that start in our practice that I, I try to impress on them is important. Was there anything that you wanted to share or think that I should have asked you? You know, one of the things when DRG came out, like I was, I was kind of hoping it would be able to cover some of the things that spinal cord stimulation could not do, or we were just kind of having failures. Um, it's done that. Um, the other thing I've seen that it's done where I, I was, we were seeing some, and, and this might've been for altogether different reasons, but we were seeing uh, patients just kind of, stimulate spinal regular spinal cord stimulation will work for a little while and then stop. Um, you know, I think some of the thinking now is maybe with, as far as uh, spinal cord stimulation, maybe we're overdosing some of those patients, making them tolerant. And that's one of the things that, you know, with some of the new waveforms like burst, um, we're, I'm, I'm really hoping, you know, still burst hasn't been around for 10 years, but we're, we're kind of seeing some of those patients with burst, not get that tolerance to, um, stimulation like um, they had had in the past. Um, so I think that was one of the other things. And, and DRG is really truly a low-dose electrical therapy. So I, I think that kind of almost also proves proves that maybe there is something to the overdosing of patients with, with electricity. I think that's kind of a big thing. Um, I, I would also... You know, when, when, and I'm not sure if when, when I train for this, like a lot of folks have L5S1 problems, they have foot issues we're trying to cover. Um, you know, and I, I'd say for some of the training, really do a little more at the DRG training as far as working on L5S1, because the other levels are inherently more easy, um, or work a little bit more on training the, working with the trainees on how to do those levels, because I feel like the first five of mine were L5S1s, you know, and those are probably the hardest levels to kind of get. Is there anything that makes you really excited about being in pain management and really excited about doing DRG? I know that, you know, therapies like this are going to continue to advance. Um, I know, you know, I mean, I, I'm certain that, you know, some of the things I asked for or I'd like to see will just happen. Um, you know, there usually one things start slow, but then I mean, if you look at the cell phones, things started slow for a few years and then boom, they took off. And, and, you know, so I, I feel like we're going to advance. I, one of the things that was really 
made a huge um, impact. And I think some of the other modalities in pain management was um, moving past opioids for chronic pain. Um, I was lucky enough in the fact that when I trained, where I trained at University of Iowa, we were already, there were over opioids. We weren't using opioids for chronic pain at all. Um, but when I came to practice in Wisconsin, it was, it was kind of insane about how many patients would come in and we knew we had these other things to offer them, but they didn't want to do it. They were, they were in the grips of, of, uh, you know, or under the influence of opioids, you know? Um, so I think that has opened up practice for, um, all of the more advanced modalities because patients and other physicians that were prescribing those things, that that's at least where I work that for the most part has gone away, not completely, but it's a huge improvement. I've been lucky enough to work with Dr. Fall for over a year now, and it has been such a pleasure connecting with his team and helping his patients. I can't wait for what is in store for us once we return to the hospital. I miss being part of his team and the satisfaction it brings helping his patients regain their life again. Thank you, Dr. Fall, and please join us again for our next episode, where we get to explore the life of a patient affected by our own burst DR. As you walk on this journey, and it has been a journey for me, that you have to find a doctor that is going to walk with you on that journey and will listen to you and be compassionate and help you through it. And fortunately, I did. I found some wonderful, wonderful doctors. Jeannie was an absolute delight to speak with, and I cannot wait to share her touching story with all of you. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Clinical Specialist and Neuromodulation Podcast. 